What's your name? Sam Scarlett. What's your religion? The IWW. That ain't no religion. The only one I got. Who's your next of kin? I don't have any. Well, who's your best friend? Big Bill Haywood. He's in here with you. He's still my best friend. What's your nationality? None. Well, what country are you a citizen of? I am a citizen of industry. Where is your home? Cook County Jail. Before that? County Jail, Cleveland, Ohio. And before that? City Jail, Akron, Ohio. Look, are you a citizen? No, I'm an industrial worker of the world. Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair, Sunday 14th of August, Brunswick Town Hall, Wurundjeri Land, 233 Sydney Road, Brunswick, 10am to 5pm, free entry, stalls, workshops, films, food, childcare and kids space available all day. For more information, go to amelbournebookfair.org, the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair. Arm yourself with ideas. A 3CR supporter. Yes, and hello, listeners. It's the excitingly irregular IWW Melbourne radio show. Here we are. Um, my name is Peter. I'm joined in the studio today with uh, Margaret and Marco. Our panel operator is Jan Bartlett, and our guest is Charandev Singh. Welcome to you all. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. G'day. Uh, we usually start off with an introduction and acknowledgement of country and people. This show is broadcast from First Nations Kulin people country on the land of the Wurundjeri, known as Fitzroy. This land was stolen from these traditional owners by the British colonisers in a bloody military operation and no treaty has ever been signed. Stolen generations and stolen wages continue this injustice. The current recognition in the Constitution campaign is not a treaty, just like native title is not land rights. We respect elders past and present listening. This sewer show is presented by the IWW. We produce the show every fifth Friday on the radio station 3CR you're now listening to, 8.55 on your AM dial. And the show this evening has a prison theme. Okay, so um, yes, welcome to the show, Sharon Dever, and um, it's really great having you here. You've worked for 20 years on deaths in custody and immigration deaths, immigration detention centres and asylum seekers' deaths at sea, so welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, and um, g'day to all our listeners doing time wherever you are. Exactly. Um, so one of the themes on the radio show today is the Incarcerated Workers, which is a group in America, the IWOC, which is Incarcerated Workers Organising Committee. And we'll talk a bit about them later, but in the meantime, we're just going to have a few um, public announcements and then we're going to go to an interview with... Because um, uh, one of the years coming up is the 45th anniversary of the Attica Prison Massacre and there's a, a quite... A, an interesting interview with Muhammad Ali about what happened there with a poem. IPAN is inviting you to attend its anti-war conference and join the Close Pine Gap protests from the 26th of September to the 2nd of October in Alice Springs. Pine Gap facilitates US war activities, international espionage and their killer drone program. It's time to stop the drift to war and free Australia from US military bases. For more information on the IPAN conference, go to ipan.org.au and for protest details, see Close Pine Gap. 
ipan.org. IPAN is a 3CR supporter. Okay, just a little bit about that um, that interview with Muhammad Ali. Um, when the world-famous boxing champion Muhammad Ali appeared in an interview which was televised in Ireland in which he recited a poem, he wrote about the, the 1971 Attica prison riots. And the background on the Attica massacres, the riots took place 45 years ago and resulted in the deaths of 39 people, including some prison guards. It all started on September the 9th, 1971, when a black inmate was killed while trying to escape. Over the following four days, up to 2,200 black prisoners rebelled against the prison guards, taking 42 of them hostage. Nelson Rockefeller, the then governor, refused to negotiate with the prisoners' demands for better treatment and conditions. Soldiers raided the prison facilities on September the 13th, dropping tear gas and then randomly shooting into the smoke for two minutes non-stop. 29 prisoners were killed on the spot. Nine prison guards were also killed that day. One hostage died of gunshot wounds later on. After reading the poem, Muhammad Ali related the struggles of the Afro-Americans for freedom and justice to the struggle of the Irish against British imperialism. Yes, so um, we'll continue on The Sewer Show. You're listening to The Sewer Show, Squatters and Unwaged Workers Airwaves. On the, in the studios of 3CR. So we've got a few radical dates and then we're going to come have a bit of music after that and then we'll talk with um, Peter, Marco and Sharon Dev about prisons and relate it to now and then. Okay, so let's get a few dates going. So on the 29th of July 2014 in Melbourne, thousands march as part of a successful campaign of protests and pickets against the proposed East-West Road Link project. And on the 30th of July 1991, in Newcastle, 4,000 march against the proposed closure of Walsend Hospital. On the 2nd of August 1917 in New South Wales, 6,000 railway workers stopped work, triggering what became a massive strike involving over 100,000 workers, mainly in New South Wales and Victoria. And on the 3rd of August in 1988 in Melbourne, British arch-conservative PM Margaret Thatcher is mobbed by protesters during a walkabout in the city. 7th of August 1980, Western Australia, Nukanbar community and supporters blockaded convoy vehicles at multiple locations in an attempt to stop mineral exploration on Aboriginal land. And on the 8th of August 1965 in New South Wales, six people are arrested in Walgett when two Indigenous women refused to leave a whites-only section of the local movie theatre. On the 14th of August 1991 in Melbourne, 100 rally against sexual violence outside the county court after a magistrate gave a rapist a reduced sentence because the survivor was a sex worker. And on the 17th of August 2013 in Cairns, the Freedom Flotilla leased for West Papua to support the resistance movement against Indonesian occupation. On the 21st of August 1931 in New South Wales, a mass meeting of coal miners at Curry Curry threatened to go on strike if planned evictions in the Hunter Valley went ahead. And on the 22nd of August in 1928 in Launceston, following a recent action in Melbourne, 160 mainly female textile workers strike against a 15% pay cut. On the 23rd of August in 1966, Northern Territory, Gurindji and Indigenous pastoral workers and their families walk off Wavehill Station, beginning a seven-year strike that will end with them gaining some land rights. And on the 24th of August in 1979 in Melbourne, anti-cuts protesters hurl abuse and some gravel at PM Fraser as he enters a meeting with the Victorian Chamber of Manufacturers. On the 25th of August back in 1892 at Broken Hill, a mass picketing prevented BHP from bringing in scabs to break what will eventually be a three-and-a-half-month minor strike. And on the 26th of August in 2012 in Melbourne, over 100 students defy a ban on protests concerning savage cuts at La Trobe University by disrupting its open day, chasing the vice-chancellor into a tunnel. Ooh. 
27th of August, 1894, in New South Wales. 300 striking shearers at Poon Carry set fire to the river steamer Rodney to prevent it from being used to transport scabs. On the 20th, it's 29th of August, 1939, in Sydney, prison reform activist Samuel Rosenberg ends an 18-day hunger strike protesting New South Wales' use of the, the death penalty. Good on him. 30th of August, 20. 20- Yes, and thanks for that great song. So we're back on our theme about prisons, and we've got our guest tonight, Charandev Singh, a little bit of experience there. Visited a few prisons over the years, Charandev. Too many. So there's been a lot in the news this week about what's been going on up in the Northern Territory. Mm-hmm. Do you want to give us a quick summary? What do you think? Like, I get overwhelmed. It just seems like cascading bad news. It's terrible. Yeah, I think what what, what many of us have seen on Four Corners... And following Four Corners on Monday is um, a daily reality. Mm. It's neither extreme nor exceptional um, nor, you know, isolated. It's um, it's the it's the nightmarish war quality of prisons in this country, and at the same time, it's very present. It's also um, very foundational in this country. So you're seeing kind of a continuum of that foundational violence of the, the coming of the prison state in 1788 and the, um, the imposition of um, multiple forms of uh, imprisoning violence um, against children mm. because um, right through the history of the, the prison colony, the prison state, you know, children have been um, enormously targeted mm. in... Um, a wide range of violence and violent institutions. And um, the, the violence that um, has been shown on Four Corners, finally, um, reminds me completely of all the CCTV and I've seen and the accounts that um, people in prison have shared with me and families of people who've died in custody have shared with me because it is the same violence that kills people in prison. Mm. So what I saw um, were children fighting for their lives, but also fighting to be alive, mm. you know. So the fact that those children are still alive yeah, and still fighting for their lives yeah. against a, a, mm. a, a deathly, lethal, mm. um, racist system... <laughs> You know, with um, is um, really extraordinary. You know, there's nothing romantic about it. It's just a sheer will to live and a mm. sheer will to resist, even as really, really young children, um, really armed with nothing much more than their own bodies, um, a pack of playing cards, um, a bed sheet, um, a foam mattress. Um, against, you know, the forces of the state railed up against them, you know, coming at them with tear gas and dogs. And, um, you know, um, the, 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 the government, you know, who... Um, you know, the, the, the first time I had anything to do with Don Dale mm-hmm. was when a young 15-year-old, you know, it's a contradiction, young 15, yep. but when you talk about someone who's 15 in prison... Mm-hmm. You have to add the young in because a lot of 15-year-olds are really old. Sure. You know, I was institutionalised when I was 15 and I mm. became old very, very quickly, mm. you know. And um, he, 
his name was uh, Kumanjai Waramaba, and he died in Dondale um, in a cell, and he was mandatorily sentenced. And, um, you know, we were in the... The mob was in the streets up in Alice, and as they have been this week, and Darwin, and everyone was in the street. We had long marches, Mm. targeting the anti-government, and and that whole mandatory sentencing regime, which was first introduced in Western Australia. Yes. By Carmen Lawrence. Mm -hmm. Right after a series of deadly police pursuits, Mm. you know, prison states deadly outside the prison gates as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the... The thing about, you know, it, it shows in the 15 years since uh, Kumanjai Waramaba's death, you know, how how escalated the violence against young people mm. has become, you know. But yet those young people are alive. And I just want to acknowledge that because um, they're alive against, um, you know, waves of waves of, um, you know, deadly violence that have been um, pitched against them mm. in the past and are pitched against them in the present. Mm. Those same officers that didn't care whether they were dead or alive and were, you know, doing things to them where they're screaming out, you know, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Mm. You know, this cry that is now, you know, now, you know, circles the world coming out of black bodies and black mouths. I can't breathe. Mm. This stops now. You know, it's um, no small thing that um, those children are fighting for their lives. Their sisters are fighting for their lives. Their mums are fighting for their lives. You know, and in so many ways, all of the different types of prison struggles really um, prefigure the struggles of the street, mm. you know, in the same way that, you know, in the in the few years before Black Lives Matter has become such a huge movement, 2014, you know, there was massive civil disobedience and um, extraordinary uprising in all of the supermaxes right across the United States mm. and all of the, you know, the movements and uprisings of I don't know more movement in mm. Canada the year before. So just like Attica was the the uprising, the insurgency at Attica, you know, now almost 45 years ago was uh, uh, both a culmination and a prefiguring of what was to come. Mm. Um, so I think the is is the role and the centrality of prison movements. Well, I think the prisons are kind of like the lab rats. What they do there, a lot of the techniques of surveillance and repression, they then extend it outside onto street protests and then onto industrial workers when they take action, yeah, which is rarer, but so they finally experiment on it. So I thought it was interesting with the youths at the moment, they've moved them out of that centre and they've moved them to the former immigration centre. So yet another supposedly separate issue, mm. yet yeah, it's very connected because they're moving connected. into the That's right. so, to the immigration centre. Yeah, yeah those, those young people, much, much if not all of that footage was in what we call the old Dondale. Mm-hmm. And, and then the, you know, a, a massive more than a thousand cell prison was, adult prison was built in Darwin, which was open last year, and the prison that um, Aboriginal adults, no, well, almost all Aboriginal adults, mm-hmm. but adults in non-territory were held in before in Darwin, was called Berrima Prison. Berrima, yeah. Yeah. Very and famous, Berrima Prison. Very famous, <laughs> yes. you know. Notorious and, even, is yeah, the right word. But yeah. You know, and before yeah. the Berrima Prison was mm. the Fanny Bray Prison, yes, you know, again, yeah. you know, this whole genealogy of um, colonial institutional violence. Mm. But Berrima Prison 
where adults were moved out of, you know, was condemned as a, it's it's you know, it's completely infiltrated with asbestos, you know, like and care it's a deadly atmosphere, mm. you know, and then they move children there, mm. you know, so. The Dondale people are talking about now and asking for it to be closed or demanding it to be closed is actually the old Berrimah prison that mm. was condemned for adults. Mm. So it again speaks to that intense um, um, reality and culture of punishment that mm. we, um, you know, preserve and perpetuate for children in this country. Mm. You know, and and not just in prison. I mean, you can you you know, you know. The, the comparison needs to be made between, you know, the children as adults and children as children who are coming forward to the Royal Commission into mm-hmm. institutional responses to child sexual abuse. Yes, yes, you know, yes. it's taken 50, 60, 70 years, yes. you know, to come out. Now, many of those people's lives have been spent in prison mm-hmm. and in and out of prison and institutions. Mm-hmm. And only now, close to, after many people have died and close to people's dying now, are people able to articulate the violence that they experience at the mm. hands of, you know, church and state institutions, at the hands mm. of the most senior members of clergy. And only now are they kind of fighting to be believed. Mm. And that's a very similar journey for 11-year-olds now, in whether it's in Dondale or Parkville Detention Centre or the young people who, who were in Victoria in 2013 were held in solitary confinement for 61, 63 exactly. days in, in Charlotte and Supermax. Yes. You know, it, mm. the, the, the occurrence and recurrence of mm. this violence and the, the absolute centrality of the use of solitary confinement, mm. you know, is is so repetitive and so uniform. You know, I think I think that's the, the issue of solitary confinement against children has slightly been missed in the last five days. And I understand why, because... The images of hooded young people, mm, restrained and of restrained young yeah. people, mm. um, of tear gassed young people, and you know people who've been, um, you know, all of that is very powerful. But the thing that the institution that enabled all those things, the place where all of those things happened, is solitary confinement. Yeah. You know, and and. Um, you know, because solitary confinement is the is the uppermost weapon of any prison system. It goes yeah. way back too to break the spirit of people. Yes. Absolutely, like and convict, convict days. Com- convict days. Mm. Uh, you know, it was used by the British extensively against mm. anti-colonial insurgents, mm. um, whether in the Punjab or whether in um, the Andamans, whether in Singapore, whether in Kenya. You know, mm. it was used um, extensively in you know um, geno- you know wars of genocide. Mm. Um, you know, after the massacres, solitary confinement is, you know, the next most kind of, geno- you know, overwhelmingly genocidal weapon, you know, and I think attention needs to be paid to the the use of solitary confinement as a, um, a torture technique. Sure. Um, that is so enabling, so mobilising and so intensifying of all those other forms of, of violence. So with I, you'd have a lot more experience than me. I understand a lot of the deaths in custody, people are on their own. So you're at the yeah. end of your tether. So whether you see it as they've been murdered by the state or whether they've taken their own life, that's isolation is to break their spirit. That's, yeah. that's the fundamental thing. Yeah, people die, people yeah. die in isolation. Yeah. And people who are placed in, in 
places of ex- acute isolation, solitary mm. confinement and segregation, they die far more mm. there mm. and they die far more when they're released from there in prison mm-hmm. and then they die far at far greater rates when they're in the community. Mm. You know, solitary confinement is so corrosive to a person's capacity to remain a human being and remain mm-hmm. alive that, you know, the, the, the lethal impacts of it, you know, are expanding, you know. So that's why I was saying, you know, the, the movements, the abolitionist movements of prison... Mm always link the end of solitary confinement, the abolition of solitary confinement to the abolition of all forms of institutional violence mm. in prison and the mm. ending of violence in a community. Yes. Yeah. You know, like that is the the fundamental essence of the abolitionist project is mm. to end violence in the community, end the use of all violence, mm. whether it's interpersonal violence, the state violence or nationalistic violence, the gendered violence. It is about... Um, a, a reconfiguration, a reshaping of the fundamental structures of um, of a, a state and a society to be fundamentally anti-violent mm. rather than pro-violent. Well, we're, in, we're in the region we're in. It's like 40,000 or 100,000 years old, depending whose version you take of all the things, but that society didn't have prisons. And this has been enforced on people now, and it's so in the psyche of people now that that's what happens and that it's normalised to have people isolated. And break their spirits. It's, That's right. It's, it really is a continuation of colonialism. Yeah. That's right. No, no prisons, but um, an extremely lawful society. You know, where law, L A W law and L O R E law, <laughs> was, um, yeah. you know, profound as and as strong as concrete. Mm. You know, where they weren't institutional prisons, but there was forms of expulsion, sure, and serious. reintegration. Mm. You know, and you know. It is so true that, you know, looking at those images, you know, on Monday and during the week, this, and thinking about how Aboriginal people responded to, you know, the the first violence of the coming of the prison state, you know, Aboriginal people who were shot on the beach in Sydney Cove, Aboriginal people who were shot on the beach in what now called the Dampier Peninsula. They named it after the killers. Yes, of course. You know, and 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 the attempts to disrupt, you know, collective violence. It's all you know, like those first violent contacts and the first violent resistances is really the birth of abolitionism in this country. Mm. You know, um, and attempts to um, push back the prison nation. You know, and and Uncle Ray Jackson and I when we had spare time in Sydney, we used to go down to um, Sydney Cove mm-hmm. and we used to have this discussion about, um, you know, the Gadigal Nation watching the coming of ships, you know, that were to deliver, to to, to, to bring about the imposition of the prison mm-hmm. Inst- the institution of the prison and this whole notion of collective punishment that was was in the DNA of the prison nation, you know, against the Irish, against the Scottish, mm. against the dispossessed, against the revolutionaries that were first were brought, you know, and and no one among the Gadigal mob could have even envisioned 228 years ago how profoundly imprisoning those institutions would be, not just in physically but mm. mentally. You know, and and the, the the destruction that it would, the, the genocidal type of destruction that um, prisons and the, the the larger, you know, the larger prison police 
So yeah, on, a, on a personal level for yourself, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned that person who's since passed, so he was a peer to you? Yeah. He was a leader to me. He was, yeah. a, he was a leader and he was mm-hmm. a teacher to me. I saw him speak uh, one time in Melbourne. He was very angry, but then sort of calm and told a joke. So I thought he's very, very good public speaker, dealing mm. with a very heavy subject with a long knowledge of uh, experience of that, like yourself. Yeah. So mm. you miss him, I presume. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, in this week we're we're confronted with the everyday, and so mm. many, so many of the mob are in such deep pain and deep anger, mm. which will be on the streets. On tomorrow, tomorrow on Saturday, all over the country, every city, yep, and every, some regional areas as well. Absolutely, you know, mm. he, um, he he will he will be walking with us. Okay, we're going to have a little break. Okay, now. thanks for that. <laughs> um, and we we will be doing future events, and one of the events we really want, really feeling strong about, is to get it on the streets on Saturday, and we'll talk a bit about one that. o'clock outside the state library. Yeah, sure. Yes. So we're going to stop and have um, some breaks, some public announcements, and we'll also have some more music. Which base provides key information for every U.S. drone strike? Played a crucial role in Iraq and Afghanistan wars as well as providing targeting and surveillance information for the Israeli Defence Force. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. It's the Pine Gap Joint Defence Facility, located just 20 kilometres from Alice Springs on Aranda Country, and this year marks 50 years of its inglorious existence. Come and join the closed Pine Gap protest near the gates of the base from September 26th to 30th. For all the details, head to closepinegap.org. Getting quick to book your early bird bus ticket from Melbourne for just $200 return. That's closepinegap.org. See you there. Close Pine Gap is a 3CR supporter. Is terrorism. Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair, Sunday 14th of August. Brunswick Town Hall, Wurundjeri Land, 233 Sydney Road, Brunswick, 10am to 5pm. Free entry. Stalls, workshops, films, food, childcare. The Gallows Pole, performed by Odetta from an album, Classic Odetta. And that song was made incredibly famous. It's a very traditional old song, but it was made famous by Led Zeppelin in the 70s, which is really interesting because they did a different take on it. But the film, so many countries claim it. The, the origins are supposed to be from Finland, but I think it came from many countries have adapted it. And one of the best versions also is um, Led Belly doing it. It's very, very good, worth having a look at. Okay, so we're, you're listening to the Sewer Show, Squatters and Unwage Workers Airwaves. It's just after 6 o'clock, 6.04, in the studios of 3CR on a wonderful evening in Melbourne with the cool, the coolness. It hasn't rained yet, that it's been raining today. It's been a bit of a lousy day. Okay, and now back to the light subjects. We thought we'd talk about the privatisation of prisons, yeah. making money out of prisons. Can it get any worse? Yes, it can. Yeah, I mean, Australia has... In, in the whole modern day privatization of the of prisons remains the most um, extensively and an extreme model of privatization anywhere in the world in terms of profit and in terms of scope and 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 depth so you know as you know all onshore detention centers um, are privatised, you know, and Serco is only is the third company 
to hold those contracts. G4S and G4S and before that, Wackenhut or Wackenhut. Geo as a time yeah, or yeah. as they were. They I keep renaming it, but it's the same exactly, cruelty. You know, every yeah. kind of four and a half years on the on the back of um, you know extreme scandal of the type we've seen in the mm. last week. There's a renaming, a rebranding, and, a, and an attempt to shift away from the name. So, you know, in the detention centres here were first privatised in October '97, when ACM, which was Wackenhut mm-hmm. Australia, Australasian Correctional Management, you know, won those contracts. You know, and and as of October 1999, you know, in the building of Woomera mm-hmm. and Curtin, um, you know, those contracts became the most lucrative single contracts in the world because they they clustered together all of these different prisons um, and a massive expansion of those prisons, you know, in, in, um, and um, one of the things that increased the profit of those contracts were the uprisings that happened in Curtin and Woomera mm-hmm. because this, the government responded by you know, a greater degree of imprisonisation physically, mm. you know, the palisade fencing, the introduction of riot squads, the first time that water cannon was used, um, the first time there was a, you know, um, you know, mass tear gassing of children and women and, and, and men. Mm. Um, and all of those kind of repressive technologies came from ACM's other prisons. Mm. Mm. The CERT teams that were used, the critical incident response teams, the riot squads, you know, all came from ACM's other prisons. So you saw a, an immediate and rapid um, imprisonisation of immigration detention consistent with privatisation. You know, you saw the use of prolonged solitary confinement for um, children, for women, for men in Port Hedland Detention Centre in a block called Juliet. Mm-hmm. You know, and from that people began dying in custody. You know, so we've had um, 53 deaths in custody um, since December 2000. None of them are counted by the Commonwealth. Mm. You know, so in this country, there's a death in custody every three and a half days mm. from all forms of different custody, mm. you know, including deaths in immigration detention. So that's just within this country that immigration detention, unlike anywhere else in the world, is completely in the hands of privatisation, not just the incarceration elements, but all of the health care, in quotation marks, is privatised to international health and medical services. Offshore, mm. in terms of manner scenario, again, profoundly privatised, you know, in, initially to G4S and then to Broad Spectrum Transfield and then their subcontractors, Wilson and IHMS, again. Now, those two, those two contracts globally are the most lucrative contracts in the world. Mm. All from one country, I think it's all from the Spanish company, Ferrovia. Ferrovia has bought has bought it. So, Broad Spectrum, yeah, and so. is saying, mm. just saying, that they won't won't um, um, continue the contract, but they're continuing it now. They haven't stepped away. It's like Labor Liberal governments, they blame the former ones, but they carry on. As yeah, usual. they haven't divested yeah, now. Yes. You know because. The, the, the contracts are continuing. And another aspect of also that is some protests people have done in Melbourne is because people don't associate Wilson parking with yeah. Wilson Security, which also yeah. has contracts. Yes. Yeah, we'll, we, I mean, Wilson provide provide the guards. Wilson, provi- you know, Wilson is a critical part of the whole machinery of mass indefinite immigration incarceration, mm. you know. But the thing that these companies are doing internationally is that they are saying to um, countries and economic blocks like the EU, 
we can incarcerate, we can detain um, all of your refugees and asylum seekers en masse through one contract. That's what the Australian government has structurally provided them, that ability to say we are global in our reach and global in our response. And then if you want to build offshore detention centres, whether it's in the Mediterranean or North America or mm. North Africa, you know, we've done that too. We've, we, we've we're tested and tried. And yes, people have been murdered. Yes, people have set themselves on fire. But we've managed that too. Mm. We've managed the risk of that. You know, and and that's that's their calling card. That's their international um, commodif- commodified product. Is their ability to detain people on a mass scale anywhere in the most remote parts of 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 this country and the world? You know, and and as you were saying, you know, prison being the the testing ground, mm. the the crucible of repressive technology and ideology and and capitalism, mm. you know, private prison, private prisons in the context where the state empowers them to this degree, and then they, you know, able to uh, empower to do all of these things. Um, you know, it 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 really is that model of um, you know predatory global capitalism um, that you know emanates from this country. You know, which is so kind of foundational. It's like a reverse. First fleet, really. So it's, it yeah. is. We're going back to people going back to the, say, we're going back to the you know, 20th century, 19th century. I'd actually say we're going back to the 18th that's century, right. like I mean, the idea of prison hulks and all that sort of stuff. Oh, you know, that's, that's absolutely. I that's mean, coming back. The, yeah. this, the, the second fleet was contracted out mm. to a company called Camden, Calvert and King, mm. London based company, who were engaged, were contractors engaged in the, the transatlantic slave trade, mm. you know, and they converted slave ships. To convict hulks. Now, by the time the second fleet arrived in Sydney Cove, either half of the people imprisoned on the on the on on those ships had either died on the journey or died upon landing yeah. on Gadigal country. Mm. You know that was the first lesson of of um, privatised incarceration in this country, and then you had the whole privatisation of labour in the convict lease system. Mm. You know, and the use of prison labour to build the prison state. You know, so if you go to Hungary now, they use prison labour to build, um, you know, razor wire and, you know, border fences to keep refugees out. You know, so there there is this fundamental intermashing of the use mm. of um, prisoners' lives and bodies and labour to, to enlarge the capacity for profit and the capacity for exclusion and the capacity for incarceration. You know, if you if you step deeper in to the country and look at our prisons, you know, we we have the most number of people in prisons, in private prisons anywhere in the world. In America, you know, seven percent of state prisoners are in, in private prisons. In Australia here it's twenty percent. Mm. In Victoria it's about fifty percent of me. Legacy of Kennet, I remember, yes. Yeah, you mm. know, mm. absolute legacy mm. of Kennet. You know, continued by ALP and LMP, and it, 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 it's indivisible. It no longer matters. It's market forces. It's absolutely. They <laughs> the re- they slave, slave market forces. You know, yes. They reproduce their own uh, carceral mm. kind of capitalism. Mm. And, um, you know, in terms of people in police custody in Victoria, about 20% are, in the, uh, are, are run in privatised prisons, like the Melbourne Custody Centre, mm. a few minutes away from where we're broadcasting Down at Spencer Street. Yeah, you know, so, yeah. you know, in Victoria... 
We had the first private women's prison in 1996 outside of the United States. Mm. 80, 85% of women in Victoria were held there. Mm. And that prison, after almost four years, was forcibly taken back Back by the state. Because of the amount of abuses. The amount of abuse mm, and the the fear mm. of a mass fire there that Mm. would kill... Like Jaika Jaika and the exactly, old days. Exactly, that would kill, you know, yeah. dozens if not more women, mm. you know. And, and the things that happened there, the tear gassing of women, that happened months after the prison opened, you know, the deaths in custody there, the the the, the extent of violence there, you know, it was all kind of structural to that, that mm. prison. The, the company that had that contract almost disappeared from Australia, you know, has just won a contract for a nano women's prison in WA, you know, right, where okay. more than half mm. of all women uh, are overwhelmingly Aboriginal women, mm. you know, where they've had deaths in custody. I mean, WA has one of the worst prisons, if you can compare them, in, 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 in the country, which is Bandiat Women's Prison. Mm. You know, and now Sodexo, the company which was a 50% consortium owner of the women's prison in Deer Park, has got that contract and is whitewashing its history in Victoria you know, and seeking to distance itself. But so that, that whole movement of these companies and their, and their capacity to say to state governments, you need 3,000 extra beds, that'll cost you $6 billion. we can deliver in 18 months. Mm-hmm. Now, the question, you know, the question of what you could do with $6 billion in a community, yeah. the, the, the choice that that yeah. offers up, the opportunity mm-hmm. that that offers up, not just to respond to you know, issues that drive criminalisation and drive incarceration is never asked. It's completely skipped over. It's completely ripped away from a community when you have companies saying, we'll solve your, you know, mass incarceration issues. Do you know about this New South Wales privatisation program they're going to start in up there for any New South Wales listeners? Sure. Well, New South Wales is the second state in in Australia to engage in privatisation. They opened their junior prison in the early 90s. Um, which is now one of the biggest prisons in New South Wales, as is our two private prisons here in Victoria. And we're opening a third massive prison soon. So they've gone through, uh, uh, after Juni, they went through a second phase of privatising two other Mm -hmm. prisons, um, Park Lee and Anana Prison. Mm -hmm. And now they're looking at, you know, building prisons with a capacity of 3,000 cells. Wow. You know, so that's almost the entire... You know, it used to be almost the entire Victorian prison system in one prison. Mm. You know, so they they have just they are, um, you know, accelerating um, mass incarceration in in ways that um, you know really haven't been seen since seventeen eighty eight. You know, in terms of expansion, and and you know, you can maybe because I'm in and out of prison so much, but. You know, it becomes defining of a community, the level of fear, the lack of sense of any safety mm. by the proportion of people going to prison and the proportion of spending on prison. Mm. You know, I always ask people, you know, in the la- you know, during the labour times, you know, incre- incarceration of women, you know, doubled. You know, I ask people, you feel safer now? Mm. I've, I've never met, I've never been able to engage with people who feel safer because we've engaged in mass incarceration. Mm. Everyone feels less safe. Everyone sees violence more, feels violence more. Everyone can see the, the, um, the markers of the prison in the violence occurring in the community. Mm. And that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's something we need to think about when we're thinking about 
these issues around mass incarceration, you know, and who goes there about the criminalisation of mental illness, the criminalisation of disability, the criminalisation of gender, the fact that transgender people are massively disproportionately represented, um, the, the hyper-incarceration of Aboriginal people, especially Aboriginal women and children, mm. you know, that is the makeup, you know, uh, of, 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 that's what mass incarceration looks like. You know, every time I go into prison, it's, it's, um, it's blacker than before. You know, like, I'm a person of colour and I'm looking at, you know, the only people I visit are Aboriginal people and young people of colour. You know, and um, what does that look like and feel like in a community for that to be happening? Mm. You know, and, and, and it takes a long, long time for a critical literacy to develop around that. And that's only happened in the United States for the last, really the last five to ten years, where there's been a, a discussion and a, an, an attempt to redress and address the implications of 40 years of mass racialized incarceration mm. that Attica, the Attica uprising mm-hmm. marked the beginning of yep. the, the massive increase in state repression. To me, it was kind of like the vanguard. They're the ones going down fighting because they saw what was coming. <laughs> Ab- absolutely. Yes. They saw what was mm. coming and they, mm. and, and, they, and they fought against mm. The Attica brothers fought against it with their lives. And that mm. was that call, I'm human. You know, and that's still the call. These are what these young people in Dondale are saying. You know, I'm a human. I can't breathe. Keeping your humanity, yes. You know, but, um, you know, these are profound political questions, you know, <laughs> because because it, it is matters of politics that drives who goes to prison, how long they are in there, the violence of that system and, and the violence that is kind of pushed out of you know, prisons. Prisons are vectors of violence and mm. vectors of ill health and vectors of disability. Um, and they suck away resources that we as a community need in the community for what we need. Education, housing, health, different forms of justice, different forms of access, work, dignified work, employment, all these things that resources are needed for that structures and communities are needed for, that people are needed for. You know, how can you operate family and have family and have community when one in three members of the community are in and out of prison? How do they live? You, you, you cease to live. You live in a, in, in, at the periphery of a prison state, you know, um, which, is in, 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 which renders many lives expendable. Okay, we're going to stop now um, for a, um, a, another bit of music. Um, we also might do some public announcements now, and um, the music we're going to be playing will be Hostage, which is a song sung by Judy Collins, written by Tom Paxson, and it's about the Attica Prison Massacre. It was written in 1971, but it was from a guard's perspective, and it's just interesting. They, they were expendable too, they found mm. out. <laughs> so we'll have a few public announcements and uh, hear Judy Collins sing Hostage. Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair, Sunday 14th of August. Brunswick Town Hall, Wurundjeri Land, 233 Sydney Road, Brunswick. 10am to 5pm. Free entry. Stalls, workshops, films, food, childcare and kids space available all day. For more information, go to amelbournebookfair.org. The Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair, 
Arm yourself with ideas. A 3CR supporter. In July 1976, from an old warehouse in High Street, Armadale, 3CR Community Radio hit the airwaves, heralding 40 years of independent, community-owned and controlled radio. This will be the first station owned and operated by a cooperative of community organisations on a Melbourne-wide basis. This is 3CR. As the status quo of old media is challenged, as publications come and go, in a country with the highest concentration of media ownership in the world, 3CR continues to broadcast radical, insightful radio 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're not talking about land rights, we're talking about sovereignty. That's why it's important for us to be at the 10 Embassy. From the protests against the Franklin River Dam to the 1998 waterfront dispute, from the east-west tunnel picket to the Aboriginal 10 Embassy, the history of 3CR is dynamic and passionate and ongoing. I was born here, I will die here. I am not moving. So as we celebrate 40 years in 2016, we ask you, our volunteers, listeners and supporters, to join in in saying, Happy birthday, 3CR! Okay, welcome back to the Sewer Show, Squatters and Unwage Workers Airwaves, 625. Got a few things to talk about, what's happening and resources, so... We haven't got much time, so let's get cracking. So uh, 3CR recently during NADOC week, uh, that's the National Aboriginal Islander Day Observance Committee week, over several days uh, behind the bars live prison broadcast around Victoria. And that's been happening for more than a decade and highlights edited from these live shows have been recorded and CDs are available from the station here at 21 Smith Street in Fitzroy during business hours were ordered um, and posted. You can call 94198377 business hours or look up uh, all the W's3cr.org.au for behind the bars. There's also on Mondays, 4 to 5 p.m., the Doing Time program, which is a long-running show, many, many years. I've heard Sing and others on that. So that'll uh, have news. And on Tuesdays, uh, 9.30 a.m. to 10 a.m. out of Sydney is a show called Jailbreak, and that's put on by the Community Restorative Centre. That's from 2SER in Sydney. So that's some resources. you have some others to suggest as well? Anyone? Think? I think there's a just on Attica. There's a a new book written by um, Heather Thompson, who's a, a labour historian in the United States, and that book is being published on the 26th of August, and it's called Blood in the Water. And uh, it's a it, Heather's been able to get unique access to a lot of the archives around the um, Attica uprising, and she has been researching. Attica and um, insurgent radicalism in prison for 20 years and I know that amongst the Attica brothers and the Attica families and the broader um, revolutionary movements in prison that is a book that everyone is eager to read so if you I want to hear Mumia Rabu Jamal review that of course great of course (laughs) classic Um, and so that that's being released on the 26th Mm. of August to precede the anniversary on the of the beginning of the uprising yes. on the 9th of September this year. And one thing I did want to mention, uh, the aftermath of the Attica massacre, on August 28th in the year 2000, a federal judge awarded $8 million to the survivors of the Attica riots. The son of Sam Melville, Joss Melville, was awarded $25,000. So, so it took th- that, that, that's years. a bloody long time. <laughs> but um, So it would be really good to think about resistance and what you can do and 
I think education is really important in terms of what you can do to fight back. And people are fighting back. There's huge amounts of um, stuff on the internet that you can look up. Facebook page has huge amounts. We talked earlier about a wobbly group that's doing prison activism, and we were going to read a bit of that out, but it's been much more interesting hearing the connection that um, we've been listening to. So um, some of the things happening, we'll just remind you again, which is happening tomorrow. Uh, One o'clock at the State Library in the CBD, a demonstration to stop child detention and torture. So that's at the State Library, 328 Swanson Street in the city, if you haven't been there before. Okay, remember the Anarchist Book Fair coming up on... We've been playing some public announcements about the book fair, but it's coming up um, on the 14th of the 8th, 10 to 5, Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair, Brunswick Town Hall, and it's going to... It's Sydney Road in Brunswick with bookstores, workshops, and there is going to be some prison workshop with a panel of women in prison, which I'm really looking forward to. And there'll be lots of good workshops, so do come to that and support your local Anarchist Book Fair here in Melbourne. So any last words from our guests, Charindev? Hopefully, you know, for those who aren't doing time, see you tomorrow with for, uh, at 1 o'clock for the, for the um, march that's for justice for the young people at Dondale, which is being led and organised by the Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance. Good for them. That's so. It's goodbye from me, Peter. Goodbye from Margaret. Charindev. And Marco. Thank you, Jan. Thanks, Jan. Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair. Sunday, 14th of August, Brunswick Town Hall, Wurundjeri Land, 233 Sydney Road, Brunswick, 10am to 5pm, free entry, stalls, workshops, films, food, childcare and kids space available all day. For more information, go to amelbournebookfair.org, the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair. Arm yourself with ideas. A 3CR supporter.